Chapter 56 Which constellations do you remember? Velma asks, I can't remember which ones I taught you. Cassiopeia, of course, I reply, tapping my chin, Orion is a hunter, right? Yep, Velma takes my hand and uses it to trace the constellation in the air, Orion led an interesting life. He has two different stories about his birth and a bunch more about his death. Which is your favorite, then? I take a cookie from the tray, trying to time the dip so that half of the cookie wouldn't fall into the tea. It didn't work. Glancing up, I notice Velma, trying to hide a giggle behind her hand. Hey! I protest, playfully pushing her, we're not all perfect, unlike someone. You think I'm perfect? Velma's eyebrows shoot up. She mocks, flicking her hair over her shoulder and adds sarcastically, Well, it took you long enough to notice. You sound exactly like Bobby Reeves before she got knocked down a peg, I laugh, using my teaspoon to fish out the remnants of my cookie, she deserved it, to be fair. I've always wondered, but, was that you? Velma queried, her eyes trained on mine, were you the one who, you know? Tricked her into thinking she had a secret admirer? I eat a spoonful of soggy cookie bits, hell yeah that was me, I broke into the school after hours to set it up and everything. Do you know how much those rose petals cost me? A fortune, I'm telling you, an absolute fortune. I had to do chores for a month to pay my sisters back. Of course it was you, Velma rolled her eyes, why would I expect anything else? In my defense, I was dared to do it. The first time, yeah, Velma corrects, the other eighteen was all you're doing, I assume? Maybe. I smirk, the playful memory coming back to me now, what can I say, I got a bit carried away. She laughs and I become painfully aware of the way her knee knocks into mine, her shoulder rubbing the fabric of my hoodie. I push the thought out of my mind, trying my best to focus on what Velma was saying. We're always like that, weren't you? She smiles at me. I remember the time you nearly got expelled because you kept breaking into the school records. That wasn't one time, it happened once a year, usually. I propped myself up on my elbows so I could look at her face, you guys kept sending me because I was the best at it, remember? No, no, I mean junior year, Velma continues, her eyes reflecting the stars outside, Mystery Incorporated had nothing to do with that. What were you even doing? Oh. I know exactly which incident she means. It was the first week back, if I remember correctly, and we had just received our timetables for the year. Look, Fred had exclaimed, peering over my shoulder, we're both in the same biology class. And we have. Chemistry, Shaggy grinned and winked at Fred, who cringed at his pun, what, do you not get it? Chemistry, like Roman dash dot. 
Not here, Fred hissed at him, gripping Shaggy's loose shirt to pull the boy's ear closer to his mouth. I couldn't hear what Fred said, and I had no intention of finding out as Shaggy's blush told me all I needed to know. One glance at Velma's timetable, though, sent my stomach to my shoes. Even though we had almost all of the same subjects, we weren't in any of the same classes. Velma had done well in the last round of exams as she had been placed in the AP courses for most subjects. I, on the other hand, had not. For obvious reasons. What classes are you in, Daphne? Velma asked, biting her lip, the guys aren't in any of my lessons, so I, it would be nice to know I had at least one friend in my classes. Give me one second, I replied, a plan already forming in my head, I just need to talk to the counselor, for some reason I have banned on here, so. I shake my head to clear it of the memory. There is no way I'm telling her why I broke up at that time. Hmm, I don't remember, I lied for the second time tonight, maybe I was snooping on someone? It's probably not important, then, Velma comments, smiling at me. Tell me about the stars, V, I roll onto my back and pull the blanket closer, I like listening to your voice. Okay. It takes a while for us to settle on a comfortable position, and it takes quite a lot of wiggling around, but eventually, we find our groove. Velma is lying on her back, a book of stories in one hand. Her knees are in the air, her ankles crossed. My head rests on her tummy, rising and falling as she breathes. Velma tells me stories from the book rephrasing the tales so that we could both laugh about them. Her other hand idly plays with my hair, wrapping locks of it around her finger, combing through the mess, and brushing stray hairs from my forehead. Every time she does so, I'm reduced to a nervous, touch-starved teenager, a blush threatening to creep up my neck. It takes every bone of self-restraint in my body to not smother her with love and affection and adoration. I close my eyes and let the sound of her voice accompany my drift to sleep. I hadn't seen Daphne at all in the past two weeks. She would occasionally drop by in our mutual lessons, but that was occurring less and less as time went on. The weirdest part was how no one else seemed to notice her disappearance. Our classmates stopped asking after her, teachers just skipped her name on the register, and Shaggy and Fred were too busy oscillating between arguing and eye-fucking to notice that one of our crew had disappeared. Daphne's still not here, I pointed out, trying to call the guys back into focus, again. We hadn't made much progress on our mystery or finding any proof that Nathan was involved in Eric's death. My half of the table was covered in erratic notes, a trail of half-baked ideas and conspiracy theories, but as Daphne has the main lead on the case, the case was cold. Fred had his feet up on the table, his shoes were worryingly close to my chemistry homework that Shaggy was copying as we spoke. 
She never is, Fred shrugged, blindly trying to pat Scooby's head. He missed. Instead, he poked Scooby in the eye and received a well-earned growl in return. She isn't? Shaggy peered around, as though he was only just taking in the sight of the clubroom, despite having been here for fifteen minutes, I guess not, huh? Well, you would have noticed that if you ever paid attention, Fred remarked snidely, enticing Shaggy into yet another argument. If I wanted either of them to stay on topic, I would have to nip this fight in the bud, fast. Hey, hey, guys. I waved my hands around to get back their attention, we have bigger things to worry about. Daphne's fine, Fred dismissed, she did this all the time as a kid, she'll come back in a while. Just give her space in the meantime. You sure? I bit the inside of my cheek. An old habit that was cropping up again, I suppose, as the flesh was already sensitive and raw, it doesn't feel like that's the best course of action. If she wants your help, she'll ask for it, Fred elbowed Shaggy, and I could feel another argument coming, she trusts you, doesn't she? But how can she ask for help if we never see each other, let alone talk to each other? But the two of them were already at each other's necks, arguing this time, and paid my woes no attention. Anger bubbled under my skin. How could they not see that their inaction might be putting one of their closest friends at risk? Fuming, I picked up my things and headed out to the special ed, hoping that some cool air and a walk would help calm me down. It was nice out there. Now that I knew that the special ed building wasn't haunted, it was no longer quite as creepy. It was just an old, crumbling building, due to be demolished at some point. I tried to think back to the first time we came here, racking my brain for unsolved clues. The thing Daphne had found. The flash of red. Why the chairs were stacked weirdly. I decided to start with the flash of the red. I could ask Daphne about the thing she had found when I next saw her. If I see her. The chairs were in my way, so I pushed them aside. Dropping to my hands and knees and crawling into the same place as last time. The absence of my partner in crime stung as I thought about the two of us colliding, our legs intertwined as we fell. Sighing, I pushed the thought to the back of my mind, sealing it away in a box labeled, Deal With Later. The red thing wasn't anywhere in sight, but I did find a small crack in the wall where it could have been hiding. I tapped around the space a few times, noting that the echo sounded hollower in certain parts of the wall. Something was inside of there. From the small crack, I couldn't see much at all. I'm surprised I saw anything in the first place. Glancing around, I noticed that there wasn't a convenient crowbar nearby, not that I would know how to use one if there was one. Instead, I sat up and felt around the wall and stumbled across the edge of a door. It was the size of a cat door, really, 
and had been painted over to conceal the entrance. Flakes of paint came away as I pressed the door inwards, causing it to spring back and reveal its treasures to me. I felt like Indiana Jones as the door swung open, reaching inside cautiously. Inside, I found a camcorder and a talkboy. The talkboy had been a really popular toy a few years ago after the second Home Alone movie came out, and it had been nearly impossible to get your hands on one. Kinda odd that someone would just abandon one like this. I pressed the play button, only to have a shrill, blood-curdling scream emanate from the machine. The same scream that had drawn Daphne and me here, Shaggy and Scooby not far behind us. The sound of voices approaching pricked my ears, so hurriedly I grabbed the tapes from the respective devices, replaced the devices into the wall, and returned to the place in the same state that I had left it. Praying that the people approaching were only horny teenagers looking for a place to be alone and not curious mystery solvers, I made myself scarce. All I had to do now was find somewhere to watch or listen to these tapes in peace, as something gave me the feeling that they weren't going to be an easy watch. Chapter 57 Maddie Velma Mum called from downstairs, we're heading out soon, are you two ready to go? Yeah. I called back, hurriedly stuffed my notebook into my backpack, a camera, and a handful of pens into my backpack, nearly done. That was a lie. I hadn't even changed out of my PJs yet. Two weeks ago, Mum had found Maddie in her room with three lizards. Maddie had brought them with her from her last house, apparently, and considered them her friends. Obviously, we couldn't keep them, but after a lengthy discussion with Maddie's social worker, we came to a compromise. Maddie would have to let her lizards go, but we would regularly take her to visit their new owners. Today, though, we were going to pick up the lizards from the vet. Maddie, surprisingly, looked pretty cheerful as she waited for us by the door, coat and shoes already on. Are you not sad at all? I asked her, slipping on my shoes, you do know where we're going, right? To the vets, she replied, why would I be sad? Because you have to say goodbye to your lizards? Oh, that, Maddie said matter-of-factly, no. Ultimately, I wasn't the last one in the car, despite not being remotely ready, as Mom had somehow managed to forget her set of house keys. And the car keys. And to shut the back door. And bring in the washing before it rained. I see why you're always late now, Maddie said, watching Mom lock the front door. Mm, I had to get it from somewhere, didn't I? I replied, I bet you she's forgotten something again. Bet what? I'll buy you ice cream on the way back if she's left something, I offered, checking my purse to see how much money I had left, or do you want a soft toy or something? I'm allowed to pick a toy? Maddie's eyes light up, 
as though the insinuation that she might get a toy was like Christmas coming early. Can it be tie-dye? And a rainbow? Can it be a tie-dye rainbow dinosaur? I don't know if the store will have one of those, I chuckled, but we can definitely look for one. I didn't mention the bet. It seemed cruel, now, to take that away from her after she looked so happy. I was right, though, Mum did forget more stuff. Right, girls, Mum turned the ignition key in the car, causing the engine to sputter alive, off we go. Maddie, the vet called from the door, would you like to follow me? The three of us stand and follow them into a consultation room. The room itself was very clinical. Everything in the room was white, cream, or some color in between, which made the room feel slightly larger than it actually was. There was no room for coziness here, as made abundantly clear by the lack of seating. Aside from one swivel chair by the computer, there was only one uncomfortable-looking fold-out chair. None of us sat down in the chair. In the center of the room was a table, on it was the bug box, containing the three lizards. Maddie ran up to the table, peering at her lizard friends. She started murmuring something under her breath. She was talking to the lizards, presumably. So, the vet glanced down at the chart, your lizards are perfectly healthy yay, and ready for adoption. That's good, Mum commented. She turned to Maddie, do you want to take a picture with them before you say goodbye? Velma brought her camera, didn't you? Nodding, I pulled it out of my bag. It was just a cheap, disposable one, but from Maddie's expression, you'd think it was the most expensive thing in the world. Mum took the bug box from the table, placed it in Maddie's hands and told her to smile for the camera. I snapped a couple of photos of Maddie on her own with her lizards, a couple with her and Mum, and one with Maddie, Mum, and the vet. Eventually, once I was satisfied that enough photos had been taken, I had taken a few extra ones, just in case one or two turned out blurry or had my thumb in them, I put the camera away. Maddie said her final farewells, kissing each of them on the head, and waved goodbye as an assistant came in to take them away. Where did you get these, by the way, the vet asked, these are probably the healthiest lizards I've ever seen. Usually, pet stores aren't properly equipped for lizard care and they suffer while in their care, so if there's a good pet store nearby, I'd love to know so that I can recommend it to people. I found them, Maddie said simply, they were hurt so I healed them. You found them? Mum asked, you mean like at school? Ha, ha, I think she's kidding, the vet dismissed, flicking through some papers, they weren't hurt at all. No scars or marks to indicate it either. Yeah, because I healed them, Maddie glared at the vet. Sure, kid, the vet scoffed condescendingly, anyway, don't worry your little head about those three, their new owners will take very good care of them. 
I'm not their owner, I'm their friend, Maddie mumbled under her breath, her fists clenching. Well, if that's all the dash, mum started. I need to pee. Maddie declared loudly, right now. Oh, can you not wait until we get home? Mum asked, we're about to leave now. I can't hold it much longer, Maddie whined, hopping from one foot to the other, where's the bathroom? Down the hall to the left, the vet gestured with their hands, do you want me to show you the way? If you go the wrong way, you could end up in the holding bays by accident, and we don't want you to get bitten or anything. Nope. I'll manage. And with that, Maddie scampered off. Shrugging, Mum and the vet exchange pleasantries and make small talk while we wait for Maddie to return. A few moments later, she did, looking oddly flushed. Did you wash your hands? Mum asked, picking up her bag and coat. Maddie nodded, presenting her slightly damp hands as proof. Good, so it's the mall now, did you say? Mum turned to me, something about a toy? Yeah, I'm getting Maddie a dash. Hi, sorry to interrupt, Dr. Cox, the assistant said, popping their head around the door, but, erm, you know those lizards? They, erm, escaped. They're gone. Like fully gone. Oh, what a shame, Maddie retorted with zero emotion in her voice as she grasped both of our hands and started pulling us towards the door, isn't it time to go already? Maddie, Mum said in her serious voice, did you steal the lizards so you wouldn't have to let them go? The whole room turns to Maddie, waiting for her answer. No, Maddie replied, seemingly honestly, you can check my pockets if you want, they won't be there. Okay, I trust you, Mum stated after a pause, to the mall? To the mall. You had something to do with those lizards escaping, didn't you? I hissed at her as we looked around the toy store. I won't tell anyone if you did, I promise, I just want to know for certain. They would be much happier out in the wild than stuck in glass boxes, Maddie responded simply, and Daphne said that you should fight for the ones you love, even if that means you have to break the rules sometimes. Of course she would say that, I rolled my eyes, you wanted a rainbow tie-dye dinosaur, right? Yep. Like that one? There was a dinosaur, a rainbow tie-dye one, sitting on the top shelf. It almost seemed as though it had been waiting for Maddie. The shop assistant informed us that the toy, which was the only one like that in the store, didn't actually have an official price as it was a relic from the previous store that had sat here. They told us that as long as we bought something in the store, we could just have the toy for free. I picked out a stuffed toy of a hamburger to give to Scooby next time I see him. Happy? I asked Maddie as we left the store. Maddie grinned, 
hugging her dinosaur, which she decided she would name Lizard, close to her chest, happy. Chapter 58 As with most mornings so far in Crystal Cove, I awoke to the sounds of birds chirping outside. Sunlight streamed in from the skylight, bathing me and Velma in the cold sunshine. Somehow, while we were sleeping, we ended up spooning. A little part of me was delighted to be cuddling, but my arm is being pinned under Velma's head. I could feel the numbness settling in, the tingles running up and down the length of my arm as my blood circulation was cut off. Shifting slightly, I try to ease my arm out from underneath her without waking her. She sighs in her sleep and I freeze. Velma doesn't wake up, though, so I continue to gradually slip my arm from under her head. Making my way down the ladder was no hassle, or at least easier than last time when I had a hangover. Deciding to make myself useful, I take the tray that was formerly full of cookies and tea and bring it into Velma's kitchen to wash them. Pouring the remnants of the tea from the mugs into the sink, I think about work. Unsurprising, really, as that's all I ever seem to think about. Less so since coming here, but it still features heavily in my thoughts whenever I am alone. I do want to stay here, for Christmas Day at least, but Brenda. She had mentioned that it was just filler stuff, right? If I get those knocked out before then, maybe I can stay for at least Christmas morning. I could just lie and say my plane got delayed or something. Or maybe Mitch could cover for me. It doesn't really matter where I am as long as I get those articles done, so? Although, I guess I should send him an email first before I make any plans. Pulling my laptop out of my backpack, I try to formulate the plan in my head. There's no way Mitch is going to help me out if he thinks I haven't thought this through. As much of a sweetheart as Mitch is, he won't risk being laid off just so I can have a few extra days off. Everyone at the office knows that the company is going under. We've known that for a long time, but because it's so difficult to find another journalism gig in New York, we're all clinging to the sinking ship, hoping we won't be the next to drown. We've all had to become flexible and willing to work more hours than were humanly possible, while a private equity firm, Fortress, drains all of our assets, making it even harder to keep our heads above the water. Deacon, my brain unhelpfully reminds me, Peter's husband works for Fortress. He probably recognized me from when they were doing layoffs a couple of months ago, but from the sea of faces and names, it's unlikely that he actually remembered who I am. He didn't rat me out if he did, anyway, and that's the most important part. Velma may know about my real job, but my parents don't, and I want to keep it that way. It's only time before I'll be out of a job, but in the meantime, I'm going to hold on to what little I do have for as long as I can. Hey, what are you writing? Velma says, snapping me out of my thoughts. 
I hurriedly closed the laptop. I hadn't exactly told Velma that I would be leaving before Christmas yet, and I didn't want her to find out this way. Too late. You, you're leaving before Christmas? No. She gives me a look, and any feeble attempt to lie and cover my tracks falls away. This seems to be happening more and more often, I need to get better at resisting her. My unhelpful brain decided that this is the perfect moment to imagine Velma slowly caressing my inner thigh, licking her lips, not like that. Look, Velma, I'm sorry. I'll get it sorted out, words spill out of my mouth as I try my best to clear the image from my mind, I just need time, but I'm already working on a way to dash. Velma touches my arm, sending tingles down the length of my arm and stopping my flow of garbled-sounding words. Daphne, it's okay, she smiles at me, sure, it's a little bit inconvenient, but we can just have one really intense Christmas day to make up for it. Two weeks worth of Christmas squeezed into one day? Unless you don't want to, panic seems to creep into her voice as she starts to backtrack. If not, that's perfectly okay. We can do something instead, Dash. No, it's okay. I smile at her. If it's with you, I don't mind. I, I, erm. A blush spreads on her cheeks as she avoids eye contact with me. Shit, I said it out loud, didn't I? I meant dash. That wasn't. God, both of us are so fucking awkward. How the hell did we ever end up dating in high school? Velma laughs, finally breaking some of the tension and relieving the pressure from the situation. It's all right, D. I was just overthinking things. We've established already that there is mutual attraction, but the main reason we're not taking things any further is that you won't stay here, and I'm not going to New York. Our relationship would end as soon as you go back home, so to save us the pain, we're not going to even try. That sounds so clinical when you say it like that, I scrunch up my nose in disgust, I haven't really thought about staying here, actually. Only about you coming back to New York with me. Oh. Maybe you should, Velma says, her voice filled with faux casualness. Maria mentioned that she's going to try to revive the local newspaper, maybe you should give her a call. She presses a slip of paper into my hand, you never know, it might appeal to you. Oh, she definitely planned this. No one just happens to have someone's phone number written down in an easily accessible place ready for them to grab it at the ideal moment. H.M., maybe, I place the slip of paper into my pocket, mostly out of politeness more than anything. Wanna go get breakfast from the cafe? Sure. Fred and Shaggy had disappeared from the club room leaving a sleeping Scooby in the darkened room by himself. The van wasn't in the car park, either, so they've probably gone for a cruise around. I knew that they would be back soon, but my impatience and curiosity was making me antsy. Thankfully, 
I noticed that Daphne's car was still there, so I set off towards the sports hall. Through the windows, I could see Daphne in the pool. Hammering on the glass, I tried to get her attention, but to no avail. Picking up my backpack, I made my way around to the front and let myself in. It was weirdly quiet in the sports hall. Normally there's a team practicing here after school, or at least using the changing rooms, but it was nearly silent. The sound of splashing from the pool was almost deafening. Oddly, the changing rooms were empty of any bags other than Daphne's handbag. For a moment, I contemplate going through it, finding out once and for all what she was hiding from the rest of us. From me. No, I could never, I thought to myself, she'll tell us in her own time. When she's ready. Daphne. I called out as I exited the changing rooms, I found something, and I think it might be the final clue. Daphne paused in the water, pulling her goggles off and putting them on her forehead, Velma? Hi. I waved to her cheerfully, dropping my backpack next to the bleachers, could you give me a lift after you're done here? The boys have disappeared. Again. Yeah, that's fine, Daphne scratched her forehead, I'm pretty much done here anyway. Pass me that towel, will you? She pointed to a large white towel on top of those box things at the end of the pool that swimmers dive from. Her voice is robotic, almost. Like she wasn't really there. Not in a daydream why, half-awake way, I mean she was like an empty, emotionless husk of herself. Hey, are you okay? I asked as I handed her the towel, we haven't seen you in a while, so we were worried. We, Daphne repeated, unbelieving, her eyebrows shooting up. She pulled herself out of the water and sat on the poolside, her feet still in the water, yeah, right. Rolling up the hem of trousers to my knees, I joined her on the poolside, dipping my legs into the water and idly swinging them back and forth like a child. I. I was worried about you. Don't be, she sighed rather dramatically, I'm fine. Just a bit tired. Hmm. Unsure of what else to say, I simply rested my head on her shoulder, hoping that the gesture would say more than I ever could. She let my head rest there for a few minutes before nudging me, weren't you here for something? What did you say you had found? Oh. Yeah, you'll never believe it, but I found a camcorder in the walls of the special ed classroom, I said as I stood up, I think it might have recorded something, damning. I'm not sure, though, as I need to get home and watch it first. Oh, okay, Daphne stared at the water as she spoke, that's good news. Come on, we should get going, I offered my hand out to her, you promised me a lift, remember? It's only when Daphne is standing before me did I realize exactly how different she looked. She had lost weight, too much of it, and even her swimsuit, 
which was designed to stick close to her body, looked almost too big on her. Daphne. I gasped, you've, you've lost so much weight. Thank you, she smiled. It was the first time I had seen her smile in a long time, I realized. Not just because I hadn't seen her much at all, but because even before she joined the swim team, her smile had faded from my vision. As much as I loved to see her smile, though, I almost wanted to cover her mouth and tell her not to smile. She shouldn't smile because she's lost so much weight that you can count her rib cage bones, she should smile because she's happy, because she's laughing, because she's enjoying herself. Not because she looks good, if you could call it that. That's not a good thing, Daphne, I started, you don't look very well, have you been eaten, Dash? Girls, a voice called out from behind us, what are you two doing here after hours? It was Coach Orozco, with an intensely friendly smile and vacant eyes, walking towards us. Sir, I was just Dash, Daphne scrambled to pick up her goggles and pulled the towel around herself tighter. Don't worry your pretty little head, Dorothy, Coach Orozco interjects condescendingly. Daphne, Daphne corrected him, presumably for the hundredth time, given the ticked-off expression on her face, my name is Daphne. Not Dorothy, not Dawn, not Daisy, and certainly not Delilah. Whatever, Coach Orozco rolled his eyes, anyway, I couldn't help but overhear you two talking about something you found. You did? I furrowed my brows. How long have you been standing there, Dash? Did you two forget about our school's strict lost and found policy? He smiled in that overly sweet, patronizing manner. That's a thing? Daphne pondered out loud. Finders, keepers? I offered weakly. I'll take the whatever you found down to the office for you, Coach Orozco told us as he picked up my backpack, that way, neither of you will get in trouble, and we can keep this whole matter to ourselves. But dash, I started. No buts, he snapped back, shoving my backpack into my chest, give me the tape. A glance at Daphne confirmed my fears, there's no way to back out of this or weasel our way out of the situation. With a reluctant sigh, I took the tape out of my bag. Coach Orozco's overenthusiastic hand snatched them from mine. Aldestra I'll take very good care of this until the real owner steps up to collect it, Coach Orozco said, turning away from us, you girls should head home before the gates get locked. Chapter 59 We keep playing truth or dare while we wait in line at the cafe. Most of the questions and dares were pretty tame given the public environment we were in, but it didn't really matter since we were still in the same comfortably playful mood as last night. Right, okay, how about who was your first crush, Velma suggests, like a real crush, not a celebrity crush. Wow, such a hard-hitting question, 
peak journalism right there, I say sarcastically. I paused thinking until I finally settle on Haley Harris in seventh grade. I liked her curly hair. Was she the one who was really good at chemistry, she asks, I remember thinking that her afro was beautiful. Yes. That was her, I confirmed, such a shame she turned out to be straight, we would have made a great couple. Velma rolls her eyes at me and elbows my arm for good measure. What do you want again? I ask, probably for the umpteenth time, as I pull out my phone, I want to make sure I get it right. Okay, so I want a hot chocolate, the special one with peppermint dash. Hot chocolate in the morning, you are wild, you know that? I joke as I make a note of her order. To be honest, I hadn't exactly been paying attention the first time she told me. What can I say, she's distracting. And a blueberry muffin, Velma continues, I hope there are still some left by the time we order, looks like there's only one left. Oh, that reminds me, it's your turn, I return my phone to my pocket and turn to her, truth or dare? Dare, Velma says, reluctantly. She's barely hiding the smile on her face, though, so I know I can push her a little with this one. Let's have a breakfast picnic in the clearing, I suggest. I know it'll be tough to be there for you, but maybe it'll help? At least a little bit? Confronting your fears head-on might work after all. Today? Velma asks, but it's December. And it's freezing. Why does that sound familiar? I wondered out loud. And anyway, I promised your parents that I would get you home safely, so that's exactly what I'm going to do, Velma says, even if it is 16 hours late. You promised my parents that? I asked, burrowing my fro, I don't remember that. They sent me an email a couple of minutes after we left, Velma admits, I promised Dash. The woman ahead of us in the queue turns around, an unwelcome face greeting us on the other side. Christy, back once again. You two are so cute, you know that, she purrs, each word dripping with a condescending tone, playing truth or dare adorable. Reminds me of the time I dash. Hi, Christy, so nice to see you dash, it's not, what brings you here? Velma asks, I haven't seen you since the bake-off competition. Yeah, well, Christy replies indignantly, I still don't think you should have one. Maybe if you hadn't cheated, Don could have won, I point out, they're a really good person, and you used them like that? That's just cruel. Hmm, Christy appraises me for a moment, are you wearing the same clothes two days in a row? I glance down. She's right, but I'm not going to tell her that. How does she even know, anyway? We didn't see her yesterday, so. Oh, my God, you are. You dash. Right on cue, 
Christy's phone starts ringing. Sighing, she turns away from us and has a whispered argument into her phone. I couldn't hear most of it, but I did pick out the words prenup and attorney. By the sounds of it, Christy is coming out on the losing side of this argument. I'll deal with you when I get home, Christy hisses into her phone, hanging up just as she gets to the front of the queue. Thankfully, she seems to have forgotten that she was talking to us before the call. Velma leans to the side a little, watching Christy order, ah, she took the last blueberry muffin. It's your turn to ask me a question, I remind Velma in a hushed tone to avoid letting Christy overhear us, feel free to make it a difficult one as I'm sure it's going to be less stressful than having to be around Christy for another minute. Velma pauses, thinking up her question, before she whispers, is there any hope for us? As a couple? That's a, that's a tough one, yep, I breathe out dramatically. It's just, there's so much history and misunderstandings and hurt feelings, Velma starts rambling, her anxieties pouring out of her mouth like guts spilling from a chest, I don't know if it'll work out, or if you're even interested in trying to work it all out, especially if you're going back to New York, so. I'll answer that one if you steal that muffin from Christy, I know she would never do that. Velma's too pure, too good. She could never steal, not even if her life depended on it, but as I watch her face, I realize that I don't actually know if that's true anymore. It was true, twenty years ago, but now? I have no clue, go on, I dare you. I watch as she pulls her hair into a rough ponytail and takes a twenty out of her purse. She grabs my wrist, get ready to run. Wait, we're actually doing this? Before I can finish protesting, Velma has pushed past Christy, stuffed the twenty in the tip jar and replaced it in her hand with the last blueberry muffin that had been on the counter, repeating sorry over and over to the staff in the cafe. Christy is obviously way more upset about this than the staff are, probably thanks to the twenty in tips, and she called out for security to chase us. When no such security guard materializes, she gives chase to us herself. Luckily for us, she hadn't grown up here and had made the rather unfortunate decision to wear heels today. She is, however, somehow managing to tail us despite everything, so Velma pulls me into a dark alley to try to shake her off. We hadn't run very far, but we were both out of breath, partially due to our lack of fitness, and partially due to laughing so damn hard at our current predicament. There wasn't much space in the alley, unsurprisingly, so even though we're both flushed to opposite walls, Velma and I are within kicking distance. I try to hold back my laughter, not wanting to give away our hiding spot, just in case, but Velma seems to be having the exact same issue. Shush. I remind her, putting a finger to my lips like she's a child, we have to be quiet. She bites into the muffin, bait her? 
A bit, I smirk, some picnic this is. Want some? She offered the muffin to me, it seems unfair to eat this by myself. Sure, I take half of her muffin, but we should eat something properly later. Hmm, just don't make me eat whatever healthy grog you New Yorkers think is breakfast, Velma says, nibbling at her muffin, I don't want a protein smoothie. That's L.A., not New York, I point out, New Yorkers have bagels. They hecking love. They, Velma repeats quietly. I think the coast should be clear now, I say instead of replying, Christy is pretty impatient. We could leave. Yeah, we could, Velma kicks a plastic bag on the ground, you owe me an answer, though. I did my part, your turn, any hope for us? Knowing that no words are going to sum up what I want to say adequately, so I lean forward and kiss her instead. She tastes like blueberries and toothpaste and sugar. Her lips are so soft, unbelievably soft, and I curse my lungs for needing oxygen when I would have rather kept kissing her instead. I'll take that as a yes. It was finally sports day. The day had been planned meticulously to give us the best chance of sneaking into Coach Orozco's office and retrieving the tapes, with multiple contingency plans, just in case. Daphne couldn't take part as she had to swim with her team, but she was with us in spirit. Or I assumed, anyway, she doesn't know much about our plan, only that she needs to stall Coach Orozco for as long as possible until I give her the all-clear signal. I was in the bleachers, keeping an eye on the CCTV of the school for any signs of trouble, of which there was little as most students and faculty were here rather than in the main building. I still don't see why you couldn't do that from the library or something, Fred whined in my earpiece, wouldn't it be easier? quieter, too. There were a few stragglers, though, that I would need to warn the boys about to avoid potential witnesses. What, and miss out on the eye candy? Shaggy teased, Velma could never, you know what she's like. I had made sure that they practiced their alibi stories, though, so hopefully, that wouldn't be an issue, as long as they don't forget their lines or their marks. There's pretty boys? Fred asked. I could see him below, glancing around suspiciously, you better not get enticed by any of them. You're more than enough eye candy for me, sweetie, Shaggy cooked, before adding in a slightly quieter voice, and a dumbass to boot, too. Barely managing to contain a snicker, I reminded them, boys, focus up here, it's heist time. Are both of you where you need to be? Hey, Daphne doesn't look so good, Fred said, his voice filled with concern, maybe we should dash. We can deal with that later, I interrupted, taking control once again, Shaggy, where are you now? Nearly at Macau Alley, Shaggy replied, what am I supposed to say again? Ask whatever couple is there whether or not the bathrooms are unlocked, if yes, just thank them and leave, if not, 
Wonder out loud if Mrs. Robertson can unlock them for you. I read from my plan either way, make yourself known, then skedaddle, got it? Got it. I heard the click of Shaggy muting the earpiece, presumably so he could focus without us talking away in his ear. Fred, I switch over to Fred's pages of the plan, you got eyes on Orozco? A slight pause. Yeah, I can see him, Fred replied as he weaved through the crowd, but Daphne dash. Forget Daphne for a second, I cut him off once again, what is Orozco doing? Nothing much at the minute, Fred sighed as he reluctantly stopped moving about to give me his response, looks like he's gonna be the one in charge of keeping time. All is going according to plan then. Shaggy clicks back into the channel, right, I'm back. Where are you now? I asked, clicking back onto the CCTV window, trying to spot Shaggy and Scooby. Heading towards Orozco's office, Shaggy replied, I've passed the trophy case, so I'm nearly there. Found them. Did you make sure to ask Mrs. Robertson for the key? A jangling sound confirms the answer, yep. Good, I dragged the window with the CCTV feed across my screen, making sure to temporarily disable the recording to render them invisible to the cameras if anyone watches back the footage, Fred Dash. A shrill whistle cut me off momentarily, announcing the start of the race. Daphne's swimming in this one, Fred noted simply, his tone giving nothing away. So? I dismissed, we've seen her swim before, it's nothing new. Classic Fred, being a nuisance as usual. Anyway, Fred, Orozco? I prompted. No change, Fred said, he's still. Is Daphne okay? She doesn't look at it. She's probably fine, I snapped, annoyed at the tangential distraction, Orozco, Fred. I need an update. Play nice, you too, Shaggy warned, sounding like Daphne of all people, we shouldn't fight. Yeah, whatever, just tell me what Orozco is up to. I clicked onto the CCTV window again. Shaggy had made it to the office and was now trying each of the keys to try and unlock it. He's keeping time, what do you want me to say? Fred retorted, all you need to do is look up from your laptop and look at what's in front of you, why is that so difficult? On the monitor, I could see someone approaching Orozco's office, someone I don't recognize. Shaggy, hide. Someone's heading your way, I said into the earpiece before returning to my argument with Fred, buzz off, Fred, I'm trying to help your boyfriend here, could you shut up for a minute? He's not my boyfriend, Dash Fred barked. I'm not? Shaggy squeaked. A muffled, who's there, could be heard through the earpiece. Shit. And if you just looked up for once, Fred continued, 
you would have noticed that your best friend is competing in a race that she is physically incapable of completing. Daphne is perfectly capable of dash. Look up goddammit. So, I did. Only to see Daphne fall to the ground as soon as possible. Well, shit. Ripping the earpiece from my ear, I let the laptop clatter to the ground as I leap over the bleachers to rush to her side. Please don't be dead, please don't be dead, please don't be dead. Spectators hovered over Daphne like a vulture waiting for their prey to exhaust itself. Pushing past them, I fell to my knees by her side, cradling her in my arms as I tried to wake her. Daphne, I gently urged her, the worry dissipating the fury that I had held moments earlier, are you okay? Her skin looked pale, too pale, and was cold to touch, and her hands were like ice. Pulling my jacket from my shoulders, I wrapped her up as much as I could. Mm, she managed, thank goodness, she's at least a little conscious, didn't sleep well last night. I waved away the spectators, asking for space. Slowly, painfully slowly, she was starting to wake back up, so I reminded Fred to check up on Shaggy and Scooby before turning back to Daphne. Come on, let's get you to the nurse's office, I said, picking her up with surprising ease to hold her, bridal style, they can take better care of you there. But what about your heist? She wrapped her arms around my neck for some stability. Don't they need you? Eh, they'll be fine. They can take care of themselves. I soothed her worries. You being okay is more important to me anyway. Sure. She didn't believe me, breaking my heart into a million tiny pieces like a glass cup smacked off the table. And unfortunately, it held a grain of truth. I had prioritized proving culpability over my own friends. That was going to have to change.